Jesus, thank you uh, for the wonder it is that we can hold your words to us in our hands in a book. Uh, that's a reality that can be a bit so-so some of the time, but it should never be. Uh, that, that, that God inspired a book. That God sent his words to us and that, that if I want to know what God says to me, I can look and find out. You are the everlasting God. You are the invisible God. You are the all-creating one, as we've sung before, and yet you've made yourself known. Um, and not just in a book, but in the man, Jesus Christ, that we read of you. And so, Lord, we ask that you would uh, turn us towards you through your word today, that your spirit would move here, and that you would move us to know your love for us better and to be transformed in our lives by that. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Um, now, we're, we're in Philippians chapter 3 today, which you, you heard read out before. Uh, this is a, a bit of a standalone message. We have not been traveling through the book of Philippians. If this is your first time here, this is kind of what we do as a church, is we go to the Bible and we seek to see what God would say to us there. Uh, different churches approach teaching, approach teaching, approach teaching uh, differently, uh, but this is what we do. We generally will move through books of the Bible uh, and seek to see what God's saying to us in, in those books. But uh, uh, right now, we are just doing some standalones, and today we're in Philippians chapter 3. So if you have a Bible, um, grab it, open it up there. If you don't have a Bible, and there's one under the seat at the end of your row, uh, if you don't have one here, use that. If you don't have one at all, take that, have that. That's that's your Bible now. Um, it's, it's our gift to you. Uh, yeah. But uh, we, we heard this read out for us before. But before we get into actually reading that again, let me, let me say, we live in a world that is uh, full of people who call us to follow them and to be like them. Uh, I, don't, I don't think this is a difficult thing to, to figure out. It's a world where there are so many voices which cry out to us, look at me, look how amazing I am, be like me, follow me. And, and like I said, you don't have to look very far to see it, Right. Um, our culture pumps the idea of celebrities, I'm not sure if you've noticed, uh, whether they be actors or activists uh, whose everyday life pushes us to want to follow them and to be like them. It's, it's not a coincidence that, that young people often dream of being an actor or a musician when they grow up. Uh, they push us to want to chase after the lifestyle that people follow uh, as our ultimate goal in life. Uh, let me give you a quick example. Uh, Crystal, my wife, who you saw up here behind this, pia behind this piano before, uh, she once went to a big shopping centre. We lived in Brisbane until the start of uh, 2019. Uh, and, and she once went to one of the big shopping centres there. And it's whilst uh, the musician uh, Katy Perry was, was visiting Brisbane. And, and when she got there, Crystal wasn't there to see Katy Perry. She was there to go to the library, it's worth saying. Uh, um, she found that there were a heap of people who had camped on the floor of this shopping centre since 1am that morning. Uh, now, now, Crystal was arriving at 2pm, so if you calculate that, that's 13 hours on the cold, hard floor of a shopping centre. Like a, like a Marion shopping centre, if you want to imagine it. Like, like hard slate floors, you know, not anything comfy to lie on in particular. And they had been camping out there, not, not even to hear Katy Perry sing, just to see her and to hear her answer some questions about her time in Queensland. How, how 
crazy is that? Like she answered questions like, what was your favorite thing you did in Queensland? I went swimming with the turtles. Like, and, and people spent 13 hours on a cold floor to be able to be close enough to hear her say, I went swimming with the turtles. Uh, sorry. <laughs> what? No, they didn't ask her about cheesecakes. Opportunity missed, I suppose. Um, that's going to make sense on the recording for anyone who's not here today. But celebrity status isn't the only thing that does this. Um, there are so many things that we get pushed by in our day-to-day -day lives to pursue. Uh, I'm sure that you've experienced this, whether it be the, the perfect house as our great goal that we're going after, whether it be the perfect marriage and, and usually when we think of the perfect marriage, we're thinking of someone's marriage who puts on the show of the perfect marriage that isn't the perfect marriage. Put your hand down, Anita. Um, <laughs> sorry. The perfect family. Even, even things like business success, right? Or, or the immediate gratification that you get from, say, party culture. You know, different people look for this in different places, but, but everyone's following some, someone, everyone's following something. How often do we receive that message again and again that if you get this thing and you can insert whatever it is there, whatever that thing is, then your life will be meaningful. If you reach this goal, you'll be there, you'll have joy and you will be better. The truth is we live in a world full of salespeople, don't we? Particularly probably in the West. You know, we've, we've, we've nailed it down to a fine art, the sales industry. Um, it's not a very good fine art, but it's there. Uh, we live in a world where we are pulled to grow in, in a million different directions, toward a million different ends. And, and this morning, we're in Philippians chapter 3, as I've said, starting at verse 17. And in this passage, Paul gives us this really clear and powerful call. Imitate and follow me, he says. Don't be like the people who pursue the things of this world. Christians, if you are a Christian, you have something better to go after than a house or Katy Perry's swimming with the turtles experience. So follow, follow after me, Paul says, as we together follow after Jesus to glory. Really, uh, this, this whole chapter of Philippians is, is a push. Uh, toward one thing, uh, rejoicing in the Lord. If you get a chance when you're at home after this, sit down, have a read of Philippians chapter 3. Um, it's, it's, it's a fantastic little bit of the Bible. If, if you want to read the whole book, it's like five chapters, four chapters. There we go, brain working there. Um, it's, it's not much. Uh, if you put it in a book, it's about, in fact, let me, let me show you. In verse 1 of the, the chapter, Paul was really clear. He said, finally, brothers, brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. This is, this is like a title for this chapter, for this whole section of the book. It's a call to action. Rejoice in Jesus. Find your joy in him. Philippians, if, if you get the chance to read it, it's all about having a true, deep, satisfying joy that comes with knowing and loving and being known by and being loved by Jesus. But, when Paul, uh, but then Paul has basically, after that first verse, talked about himself for the rest of this chapter. Uh, and and I'll, I'll summarize what he says, okay? Um, 
from verse 4 to verse 16. Uh, he says, I have reason to boast in the world because I was, I was good but by a normal standard, by a worldly standard. But I count it as rubbish. In fact, the word he uses for rubbish there is a bit ruder than rubbish, but our translators don't like it. Uh, he says, I count it as rubbish, all that I had to boast in, because I want Jesus and nothing apart from Jesus. Because the person who has Jesus will share in the righteousness of Jesus, will receive the power of Jesus, and will share in the suffering of Jesus, but will ultimately, by God's good grace, be raised to eternal life with Jesus. And he sees that as better than anything else. He says, so I forget everything else, and I pursue Christ. I seek my joy and my life in him. Snapshot summary, if you nailed it down even further, I have joy and I have life in Christ, so I pursue him in everything. And, and then in our, in our passage tonight, it, it becomes uh, apparent exactly why Paul has been talking about himself so much in this chapter. Verse 17, have a look at it. Brothers, brothers and sisters, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Basically, he's saying you need an example to follow. We are not made to take joy in Jesus uh, and grow in pursuing him as solitary individuals. Um, no, we need to be following good examples of what that looks like if we want to grow in that. And he says, so follow me. So, and, and any other Christian, follow any other Christian who pursues Christ as their source of joy and life. So in verse 17, Paul basically makes that point really plainly. He said, like I said, brothers and sisters, join in imitating me. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. It's not rocket science, right? Paul's saying, follow the good examples. Both the example you have in me and the example that other people give you who are also following Jesus. This passage is a, is a call to what we call Christian discipleship. Um, if you're back during that launch series at the start of the year, I'm sure we're going to get back to that subject pretty heavily. It's a call to be living as a community where we seek to follow Jesus by imitating those who are pursuing him well. And in the rest of this passage, Paul gives us two stark motivations. And they're what I'm going to spend most of my time here talking to you about uh, for why we would want to grow as the disciples of Jesus. He holds out to us the, the negative example, the alternative to what it is to follow the it, following the world to destruction would be a summary of it. And he holds out the glorious reality of who the Christian is in Christ, and, which means it is good and glorious to walk in the way of Jesus. So let's get into that now. Read with me now from verse 18. Paul writes, For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Now, up until this point in the chapter, uh, Paul's referred a few times to a specific group of people uh, who were trying to lead the church in, in this city, Philippi, that he's writing to, astray. He, these people, we could, we could name them the Judaizers. That's, that's the fun name for them. 
um, people who say that a Christian must follow the Old Testament law if, if they're to be saved, if they're to be a true Christian. Uh, these people were, were spreading a teaching. It says that, that you're, you're saved not just by faith in Christ. They didn't completely deny that faith in Jesus was what you needed, but you had to have faith in Jesus and fulfill the works of the law to be saved. But no, notice what happens now. Paul's not just speaking about them in this bit. He broadens it out. The people he speaks about here are broader than the Judaizers. How does he describe those people? He says, they walk as enemies of the cross. That was certainly true of the Judaizers. But what else? He gives us these four qualities of those who walk as enemies of the cross. Those you must never follow and never become. He says, their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Now, do you see what he did there? Those last three things, uh, they all tell us what the focus of these people is, who he's talking about. What's their God? Where do they find glory? And uh, what do they go after? Their, their belly is what they worship as they go. They find glory in what should be considered shameful, and they are going after earthly things. You could summarize and say their desire is set on the things of this world. They go after what they can have now as their, as their great joy. But Paul actually front loads that sentence with the objective reality of what that life ends in, what that is careening towards. He says their end is destruction. It's a pretty stark way of putting it, isn't it? Paul's warning these Christians, and he wants to warn them in the clearest way he can. It's still, and it's still relevant to us today. You might look at the world around you and be tempted to follow, be tempted to think that that's what glory is, what joy is. They might look like they have a lot and have it all together, and that they might, like, they might look like living how they live is better. But remember the end of going after the things that they go after. You know, there are all manner of people that you could follow in this world. I'm sure you've run across that. This world is filled up with people who are led by their own desires. In fact, everyone is led by a desire of some sort. People whose deepest joy is found in the things of this world, whose deepest joy is found in what, they, what should rightly be called Shameful compared to the joy of knowing Jesus. Whose joy only goes as deep as, for instance, and they're all too ready for you to follow in their footsteps. You see, the truth of the matter is that you will be discipled. You will be discipled. It's not optional, actually, in this life by someone or something. No life is stationary. Uh, everyone is led by their deepest desire in a certain direction. Everyone is following an example of some sort. Uh, it's from the young politician who is following the line of the party and, and wanting to be like their leaders to the farmer who, who looks at the richer farmers and who says, that's what I want to be like. You know, all of us could find that in our lives in some way, shape or form. You see, many people live a joyless life, but no one lives a life that isn't looking to be joyful. No one doesn't want joy. And no one doesn't want to grow towards something that's going to give them joy. The difference is where you look for it. 
Many people seek their deepest joy in money, for instance, or in sex, or in their family, or in food, or the self-gratification of having other people follow you. Now, none of those things are inherently bad exactly, right? It's not bad to lead or to own things. God created sex. It's in the Bible, people. Uh, he created family. He created food. But when we seek those things as our highest joy, as our deepest desire, then we make those things our gods, practically. And that is wrong. That is a life that ends in destruction, is what Paul's saying here. And what's more, they're never going to satisfy you. I hope that doesn't come as a newsflash, but it might. Um, Paul is giving a sober warning here. No matter how tempting it is, Christians, you must never, uh, you must, sorry, you must remember that following the world is following the path of destruction and judgment. So instead, follow those who follow Jesus. And actually, before we move on to verse 20, let me just uh, bring out just a couple of words that happened there that we skipped over um, in verse 18. It's so interesting, isn't it? That Paul says, uh, he puts in that little clause, even with tears. There are many who walk as enemies of the cross of Christ, and I tell you about them with tears. It's really, really significant, and it's not worth skipping over. Um, he doesn't tell us about these people who are walking away from Jesus with objectivity. Uh, he doesn't tell us about them with repulsion. Uh, he is broken by those who reject Jesus. It hurts him and brings him to tears. He speaks about them with tears. You know, this letter was addressed to a whole church, and it would have been read out by one person to that church originally right, in Philippi. You can imagine the guy who was reading it, right? He might have got to this bit and just had to stop. Not long ago, Paul had been talking about the Judaizers. I mentioned them earlier. That group of people who is, he is making a, a part of those whose stomach is their God, right? And who walk the path to destruction. In verse 2, he was pretty blunt about this. He called them, what is it? Dogs and evildoers who mutilate the flesh. That's not nice speak. Uh, in case you're wondering. But now, reading out the letter, you imagine this guy gets to this point and is like, wow, guys, Paul cries here for these people. Like, like sponges on the pap papyrus. Seriously. Like, I don't think he's just being uh, hyperbolic in his language. He's actually serious. He weeps for these people. And maybe this is... Partly his passion to not see the Christians there follow them down this path. But it seems pretty clear that mainly he weeps for those who reject Jesus. He weeps for them. He cries over their self-destruction. It's so, so interesting and so vital, right? This is, there's a balance here. Paul holds in tension the fact that uh, he can, on the one hand, speak strongly about these people and on the other hand, weep for them. Paul calls out wrong teaching and, and evil living. And, and he, for the, for the, he weeps for the redemption of the evildoer. 
such an important balance. And it's an imbalance, a balance that if you're a Christian, you need in your life. That's why I'm, why I'm kind of focus, focusing us in here for a sec here. It's a balance of calling out what is wrong as wrong, especially to other Christians so that they don't uh, fall into following false teaching, false living, uh, but at the same time, not losing your compassion. Not losing your love for those who are walking away from their only hope. You know, this verse really points out what is wrong with the way that so many Christians represent Christ. Doesn't it? This, this might be rude to some people, I don't know. But, but how often do we fall off of one of the two ends of this spectrum, right? Either we're all tears, we're, we're all care. We are all tenderness and gentleness toward the unbeliever or toward the straying Christian uh, to the extent that we no longer are willing to call sin sin. Sin is sin. That is such a terrible thing because in no sense it does avoiding telling people about the ways that they are careening to, toward destruction in their life, loving towards them. You know, that's kind of just caringly preparing someone for hell. It's not loving in a long-term sense. But then how often do we see Christians who fall off of the other end? Now, um, I think in my own tradition, this is more what I've seen um, and, and probably more been my temptation, to be honest. Maybe, you know, when, maybe, maybe you know these people, maybe you were them, maybe you are them. But, but the Christians who, who point at those who are living a life apart from Jesus and maybe prod them. Maybe that's a good way to put it. Prod people who aren't Christians. Oh, why would you be an atheist? You're so thick. Right. So dumb. Here, let me argue, argue you into submission with all of my good arguments. In our day and age, this comes out so often on that, that wonderful blessing of ours, the internet. Uh, when Christians on social media represent uh, people who aren't Christians, um, even people who have been led into false teaching uh, in, in a mocking way, ridiculing uh, them like, like they're just idiots, right? Uh, when, we, when we depict those who disagree with us as tantruming children, and I don't care if they are actually tantruming children, by the way, or not. Like, like some people are doing things wrong that deserve, in a sense, to be, to be mocked. But that's not how we as Christians respond. How we respond is so important. Those who have received so much grace should be able to give it to, back to others in ways that those who haven't received it can't. If we respond with mockery and with disdain, then we represent Jesus as mocking and disdainful to people. Maybe that's a good way of putting it. No one's saved by a loveless argumentative Christianity. Uh, we know that for sure because we don't have a loveless argumentative saviour. Paul corrects us here. Our, our response to people walking as enemies of Jesus People who are living a self-focused life is never to mock or to ridicule, nor is it to minimise sin. We respond to that with tears and with truth. Sorry, I know I've, I've laboured this a bit, and this could have been its own message. Um, 
we, we respond to it with compassion and with clarity. Because they are walking toward hell. And our desire is to see that not happen. We desperately want them to see and to receive the hope that's in Jesus. You know, this, this is, I'm sure, why the Beach Mission crew are here this week, for instance, and why they're not going to get up and hit people with sticks. No, good, good. We desperately want others not to fall into the same trap by following those people either. There's an old-timey preacher, Charles Spurgeon. Uh, I would call him Charlie, but I have a son named Charlie, so that's confusing. Um, who said this really well. He said, uh, if, if sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. If they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped around their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions and let not one go unwarned and unprayed for. Hey, Beach Mission Prayer Night, by the way. Um, and now having, I'm going to step back away from that a little bit now. Having given us the negative motivation, having pointed out the destruction that following the world causes, uh, Paul turns now and tells us how positive, how good a reason we have to follow those who follow Jesus. He writes from verse 20, have a look at your Bible, but our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. It's hard to overstate how incredible what Paul says here is. Pull it apart a little bit. Our citizenship is in heaven. Paul's saying that for the Christian, the ultimate reality is that you do not belong to this world. You do not belong to Australia or to the culture of Australia or to the driving motivations of the people of Australia. You are one of heaven's people, first and foremost. He writes, and from it we await a saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. Christians have this as an undefeatable hope. Nothing can take this away. Jesus will come back, and when he does, he is coming to deliver his people from this world. And now he tells us what that will look like. He says... He will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. The literal wording there is that he will transform this body of humiliation to be like his glorious body. I think, I think some of us can relate to having a body of humiliation. Uh, sorry. When Jesus returns, it's going to be nothing but joy for his people. They will become like him. The Bible tells us that he has a body that can no longer die. He's never separated from God. The Bible tells us that, that in the end there'll be no more crying or suffering or pain. Because we'll be with him and we'll be like him. You know, the Apostle John writes over in the first his first letter, um, 
When he appears, we shall be like him because we will see him as he is. When Jesus comes back, he will complete the transforming work that he has that we, that we are experiencing now as disciples of him. There will be no more sin in us. And none of the anguish and the sorrow and the sickness and the terror that result from sin. Because he, because we will be with Jesus and like Jesus. Do you look forward to that day? I look forward to that day. I was talking to someone at the clinic yesterday, uh, one of the other nurses, um, who's also a Christian. <laughs> and uh, we were dealing with a complex medical situation I won't go into, but um, she's looked at me and goes, man, I can't wait for the restoration. <laughs> I was like, I hear you. <laughs> it's going to be good. The end of the Christian is glory. Finally there, he reassures us that this will happen by reminding us of the power that Jesus has to bring it about. He says, the same power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. The power that makes Jesus the king of the universe, that's what he's saying, will ensure that we will be delivered and we will receive glory. When the great king of the universe returns, he, he will bring us the hope that he secured for us. And if the great king of the universe has secured you a certain and glorious hope for all of eternity, why would you follow any, anything else? Let, let me just throw in there, if you don't know that joy, if you don't know that hope, if that's not something that you have personally experienced, uh, that can change today, here, now even. It can be yours by believing in Jesus. That's, that's the only difference. Those who believe and follow Jesus are saved, and that joy is theirs. It's a now joy, and it's a joy that's going to well up into forever. You just need to turn to him in faith. But moving ahead, do we, do we see now the strong and beautiful contrast that Paul paints here? He's just told us about the people who you're not to follow, right? And now he gives us, and he gave us the four attributes of the enemies of the cross. And now he gives us a contrasting four attributes for God's people. Listen to it. Their end is destruction, but your citizenship is in heaven. Their God is their belly, but we wait for Jesus. He's our God. They glory in their shame, but Jesus will transform our bodies to be like his glorious body. Their mind is set on worldly things, but our Savior has the power that subjected everything in the world to him. Do you see it? At every point, Jesus is saying it's better. Paul is saying it's better to follow Jesus. Why wouldn't you? Our end is infinitely better. Our God is infinitely better. Our glory is infinitely better. And although they are pursuing the things of this world, the one who, who reigns over all of this world is who we are pursuing. Back in verse 8 of this chapter, Paul said, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. 
these two types of people that Paul talks about here in, in 3 verse 18 to 21 really hark back to that. Um, there are two types of people, Paul says. Two ways that people live. And funnily enough, I wrote that before I realised that two ways to live was what the beach mission crew were working through this week. There's two fundamentally different roots that can exist in a person's heart out of which will flow every action. And they are, there are those who count Jesus as rubbish and go after the world. There are those who count Jesus as rubbish and go after everything else. And there are those who count everything else as rubbish and go after Jesus. And in this context, we have to realize that this isn't just a personal reality. I know that should be clear by now in this message, but this isn't something that Paul is calling us to do on our own. In fact, the whole point here is that we pursue Jesus by imitating, by following the good example of those who pursue him more. That's why Paul said in, in, in 4 verse 1 to these Christians that he loves and cares for, stand firm thus in the Lord. Notice that thus there. He's not just saying stand firm in the Lord. He's stand, saying stand firm like this. This is how you do it. Here's your instruction manual. By following the good example of those who count the world loss and go after Jesus instead. Yeah, you know, on the one hand, the application of this for a Christian is really, really simple. We need to live the life that pursues Jesus. That becomes more like him by seeking and finding more and more joy in him. And primarily the way that Paul sees that happening uh, is in discipling relationships. That's why he spent the whole chapter building a picture of what it looks like to rejoice in the Lord and then called them to follow him and other good examples. Finding those more mature Christians, learning to follow Jesus in the ways that they do is vitally important to the Christian life. It's not an optional extra. We need to be ready to be disciples who make disciples. When Jesus, when he rose, said, go, um, now I'm forgetting my words, go make disciples. He was talking to all of his disciples. And the command stands today. I want to challenge you right now. If you're a Christian, commit to the life of discipleship. Commit to that being something you're going to seek out that you won't let sit by the wayside. Commit to growing under other Christians. Commit to the reality that you are sent by God to make disciples as well. And take in mind that takes opening our lives. I'm not calling you to commit to a light thing. I'm not calling you to commit to a Sunday morning thing. Not that it's not Sunday morning. It takes revealing our brokenness in ways that that are unusual in this world. It takes revealing our brokenness and, and the ways that God's grace is transforming our brokenness so that others can grow in the same way. Generally, I'd like to say, if you are not being grown as a disciple of Jesus, if you don't have other Christians who are pouring into your life and, and who you can imitate as they imitate Jesus, seek it, find it. Be unrelenting. 
But I want to be more specific than that as well as we finish up here today. And I'm sorry, if you're visiting here and you're going away next week, this probably won't apply very much to you. Um, but uh, if you're a part of a church somewhere else, feel free to take this as just a local application for your church. Um, if it doesn't apply in your church, kick your leaders until it does. Uh, no, don't tell them I said that. Um, we're, at, at Gospel Church, we're going to be starting things called gospel communities in the fairly near future. Um, uh, you may have seen them before elsewhere as small groups or home groups or whatever you want to call them. They're, they're going to be groups or to start probably a group uh, of people who meet in our homes during the week. Um, and, and that for the purpose of being a community of disciples on mission. Uh, we'll look more at what all of those things I just said mean in the coming launch series. But for now, just know that this is going to be a context, a context for fostering those discipling relationships. That's, that's a large part of the intention, what that is. You may hear that and think, I don't really need that. Please believe me, this is a vital part of what it is to be a Christian. And it's also going to be a vital part of what it is to be a part of gospel church moving into the future because we see that as a vital part of what it is to be a Christian. In fact, Paul basically requires of it here, us of it, it of us here. He doesn't say join a gospel community. He doesn't go that far. He didn't know the name we were going to give it yet. But he makes it clear you need to be in contexts where you can imitate the good examples, where you can grow as a disciple. Because discipleship looks like following others as they follow Jesus. Following them in everyday stuff. Not just hearing a sermon on a Sunday. That's not clear. Follow them as they work out their salvation with trembling. As good as things like listening to sermons online are, or, or to radio messages or or even to hearing the sermon here on a Sunday morning. You may be thinking at the moment it's not very good at all, but um, they're no substitute for the personal relational discipleship that the Bible calls us to. This goes for every Christian. We are all to be discipled. There's a need for growth in every one of us because none of us are there yet. Raise your hand if you are the perfect likeness of Jesus in everything. Right? Shame, I was hoping someone put their hand up so I could say, no beard! Um, but, uh, yeah, anyway. Um, we all need this. We all need to become more like Jesus. If you're involved in those sorts of relationships, great. Uh, maybe it's time to start intentionally not just being discipled, but making disciples. Maybe it's time for you to step out in that direction. Uh, what God has done to you, he wants to do through you. That's a reality that we see over and over again in Scripture and in the lives of Christians. Where you have grown in your joy in Christ, he wants you to help others to grow in their joy in Christ. This is, this is the snapshot summary of the Christian life. We grow to be more like Jesus and we grow others to be more like Jesus because we find our joy in him. And with that, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for that in our lives. Um, and then we're going to move into a time Jesus thank you that you have loved us so richly 
that you've poured out so much grace on us that the king of the universe would love a people because of nothing in us but because of your love and your love alone. Thank you that you call us to become more like you. Lord, help us, help us to fight the voice that says that that would be a burden and to embrace the voice that says that that is a pursuit of our joy. Help it in me, Lord. This is a struggle in my own life. Help it in us. Make us more like you, Jesus. Make us disciples who make disciples. And Lord, if there's anyone here today who is not a disciple of Jesus, who has not believed in Jesus, I pray that you would bring them in. Bring them into the joy that is in you and pour your grace on them. Let them believe and be saved. We pray in the name of Jesus our Lord. Amen.